I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, it's Radio 1 DJ Matt Edmonton and it's amazing not only is Matt a DJ, Matt's a producer, a podcaster, a songwriter, a magician, uh, <laughs> uh, so much more. Oh, oh, a television presenter. Let's make sure we throw that one in there. Um, yeah, and we talk about all of it. And it's a delightful chat. Um, it can get heavy in places. Um, and, you know, I'm all about that. I, you know, I want this podcast to, to go wherever the conversation needs to go. And And huge thanks to Matt for being so... Uh, open, honest, and, and giving some some beautiful answers to uh, some songs that are obviously deeply personal to him. Um, so yeah, so thanks again, Matt. Um, if this is your first time listening to Off the Beat and Track podcast, then um, when you finish listening to this episode with Matt, then why not explore the back catalogue because there's 320 episodes now, and you know with all your if you like your Radio One DJs or former Radio One DJs, who have I had on that been on Radio One? Edith Bowman, uh, uh, Colin, Colin and Edith, obviously. Um, who else? I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, in, in regards to guests, um, blimey, where to start? Fatboy Slim, Tommy Lee and Motley Crue, Foo Fighters, Idols, Sleaf of Mods, uh, Melanie C., Actors, Joe Hartley, Maxine Peake, Thomas Turgus, producers, Butch Vig, um, SX, um, comedians, Acaster, Gamble, Jade Adams, Maisie Adams. Oh, the list goes on. Go have a rummage because there's 320 odd episodes of all your favourite. Uh, your favourite peeps. So go and have a little uh, rummage there. If you'd like to support the podcast, um, other than giving us a like, love, share and a retweet on the socials, you can subscribe to the podcast. That's really good. You can leave a little review of the podcast. That would be be absolutely delightful. Um, And um, you can also support me via a crowdfunder, um, which is called Patreon. Um, I won't patronise you because I'm sure most of you know what Patreon is. Um, If you don't, then then head over and have a look. Um, It's p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com forward slash off the beaten track uh if you forgot that already which if i was listening to a podcast i probably would have um just go to my website 
offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. And then that'll show you, um, well, everything, all about where to go find me on the socials, uh, back catalogue, and it also tells you about the Patreon, which for 79p a month means you get access to another couple of hundred episodes, uh, hundreds of video episodes, uh, radio shows, all sorts of goodies, and it all goes in the pot to support the podcast. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, on with today's episode. Please enjoy it off the beat and track podcast with the wonderful Matt Edmonton. Sorry, I've interrupted the podcast, but with good reason. Hotel Chocolat are our sponsors. You know that now because I tell you about it every episode. But they've been super kind now. And you may have heard me talking about the products from the cacao bar and there's gins, cream liqueurs, all sorts of wonderful chocolatey goodies. Um, And what they've done is they've set a page up on the website that you can go to. And all you've got to do is just for you off the beaten track listeners, go over there, answer a question, and you could win the full range delivered to your front door. I mean, that's kind of them. All you have to do is go to this place, hotelchocolat.com forward slash OTBT podcast. That's OTBT as in off the beaten track podcast, hotelchocolat.com forward slash OTBT podcast. Go get your grubby little mitts on some deliciously chocolatey drinks, courtesy of our sponsors, Hotel Chocolat. I'll get back to the podcast. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good, thank you. Yeah, how are you doing? Radiant and glowing, actually, mate. The, the, the sun is shining in Essex today. It's a little bit fresh, but, uh, but it's bright. Fresh is the best, isn't it? Fresh, you, you, you live your whole life wanting fresh, I think. I yeah. think if it's, too, if, it's too, if it's sunny but too hot, stressful. If it's sunny but just a little bit crisp, it's fantastic. It means Christmas is on the way. We've not hit the depressing months of January, February and March. There's so much hope and potential in the world. Leaves crunching underfoot, it's the best. What a beautiful way to start the podcast. A bit of positivity, Matt. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, going from that to something, um, hopefully, uh, I I guess, tinged with some some positives. But I just want to, before we get on the playlist, just as I like to most guests, and obviously that was an inevitable conversation over the last however many months, but just to ask you how you found um, the, 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 the period of 16, 17 months of lockdown. Like, how did you find that both personally and create creatively i found it to i think like most people to have really good bits and really bad bits i um so i'm quite lucky in that a lot of my life is uh me trying to come up with ideas and get them away and i probably come up with you know 100 ideas and one of them happens but i have to spend all the time on the 99 that don't and what I found, because I've got a five-year-old daughter, she's five now, but she was sort of three, four when the pandemic hit. What I found is that my usual way of working, which is just to wake up and think, what's the universe offering me today? What idea have I got? Or, or <laughs> yeah. what do I want to do? How do I want to spend my time? And a lot of what I do for work really doesn't look like a man working. Um, I had to sort of balance that lifestyle with, oh, we've got sort of this relentless what felt never-ending, no light at the end of the tunnel, 12 hours a day, every day, locked inside with a toddler. And um, and sort of needing to, uh, you know, work out the parental responsibilities, who's doing this, who's doing that, when are you getting a break? And I find that if I start on something, 
the sort of flow state that I get into sounds very dramatic, but I do get into a kind of different zone where it feels like the stuff I'm doing is just happening. I am not really uh, aware of how it's happening. I'm just sort of doing it. Uh, And it meant that I found the interruption of that flow quite hard. Mm. And I don't know if you've had this where you've worked on something and then if someone said, can you recreate that thing tomorrow? You'd be like, no, I haven't. I kind of have no idea how I made it. Yeah, It was like that every day. So I'd finish or drag myself away from whatever I was working on. And the next day I have to come to it and think, who was that guy yesterday? And how did he make this thing? And I have to kind of take over that project from myself. Um, but creatively, it was really interesting. You know, I think normally I'm quite busy, you know, obviously do the radio. And that was still going on um, throughout the pandemic, although in a slightly different way. But I was, you know, I, in pre-pandemic life, I'm filming TV shows or um, doing lots of pitch meetings or just various things that, that uh, filled the hours. And I found myself, you know, with nothing to do, like many of us. And uh, I've always been good at setting myself little uh, homework projects, most of them that never see the light of day. But I had two things in lockdown that kind of kept me busy. The first was I made a podcast uh, about songwriting um, called Not Another Love Song. And I'd never written a song before lockdown. And I thought, I'd like to give it a go and I'd like to learn music production. I'd sort of seen a producer do their thing. And uh, it was about the most magical thing I'd ever seen. The idea that you could hum something and then he could play those notes into a keyboard and I could hear it back a minute later. It felt like magic. And I guess I've spent my whole life trying to download thoughts from my brain, but it takes ages and normally requires loads of other people to get a TV show made or whatever. This was just instant. You know, I said, oh, what about if it sounded like this? And he pulled up a sound and did it. And I thought, I have to learn this superpower. And so I thought, I'll do that in lockdown. And the only way I knew I was going to do it is if I tried to finish some songs, no matter how long it took. And so that's what I did. I made one song that was just kind of me on my own. I asked my friend Amy to come and uh, come and sing on it. And then I had this idea of well, what if I DM'd loads of pop stars, because I assumed that they'd also be really uh, bored, and asked them if they want to co-write a song. Um, and amazingly, 10 of them said yes. And... Uh, and we did it. And I embarked on this adventure where I went from knowing literally nothing. And I mean, never having picked up an instrument before from nothing to making an album's worth of songs in 10 different genres. And it took me probably about a year and a half to do it because I didn't know anything. And, you know, the first song, I think I worked on it for two months because I had no idea how to, you know, make a vo- vocal sound nice. So one a few things I want to ask uh about this Matt is you say you can play an instrument and and you you know you'd not written a a song before now back in the 90s I had a record deal and I was in a band and 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 done the 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 the, you know the 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 indie rock toilet circuit of you know just 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 playing the two men and the dog for a few years (laughs) but I was never a great songwriter as such and I'm not a great musician by any means but I've also been a club DJ for 30 plus years mm. and knowing when I play something, what connects with someone is something that I drew on constantly. Was that anything that you pulled from, 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 you know, knowing what music that you've played when you have a DJ radio clubs, whatever, what connects with people? Did you draw from that? 
Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, obviously, at Radio 1, we're playing the most mainstream of songs we can play. It's the, it's the top 40, and we do introduce new things, but then they, because they're on Radio 1, become mainstream. And so we're listening to loads of different genres all the time, and you are in a room for, you know, 12 hours a week for me, and all you're doing is listening to music. And so you... I think almost by osmosis, the grammar and the structure of songwriting, you just learn it because all of the songs have a very similar structure. But also things like, just from listening to loads of music, you go, oh, well, I need to get from a pre-chorus to a chorus on a production perspective. Well, how do I create a bit of tension which then gets resolved? Mm. Well, if you listen to every single song, they're all doing that. There's a multitude of tricks that you can do. And so I think... For me, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, I didn't have to go and investigate that stuff. I kind of knew, oh, this song's missing that thing. It's normally a reverse symbol. Uh, it's, it's missing something that gets us into, into, the, uh, into that section. And so, yeah, I think, I think just having a sort of um, relationship with, with pop music really helped me write loads of those songs. What I found odd, and the reason I sort of started trying the songwriting thing is that when I'd, I'd had this experience where I'd met this producer, Andy Sheldrake, who works with Example and lots of other people, but he's, um, he's absolutely brilliant. He's a genius. And um, I had this conversation with him where I said, God, if I had your skills, I'd, just be, I'd be sat here every day trying to write the biggest pop song in the world. And he said, well, my thing is production. Like, he's great at the music, great at the production. He finds the kind of the concepts or the lyric writing, the top line writing. That's not his strength. That's what he, he supports other people in doing that. And I thought that everybody, when they were hearing a song or like a chord progression, were coming up with their own melodies on top of it. I just assumed it was what everyone was doing and their own lyrics. Because for me, it's like, it's un- there's no question about what it's going to be and what it's going to say. It just sort of happens very easily. And, and it didn't feel like a skill. And he said, oh, no, no, that's something that um, not everyone can do. So you should go and try and do more of that. Um, but I think, you know, in life with things that, you know, some people find logistics really easy, organising stuff. They can't understand why my life would be so chaotic. They're like, well, you just plan this in advance or get this out for that. Whatever their, their, their superpower is, you know, organising stuff, and I don't have it. And I think that, but they, they think it's natural. And I think for me, it was this thing of, oh, I just assumed that everyone was doing this all of the time. Uh, so, yeah, made, made the album and recorded the process and it was really fascinating to write with all these different people, amazing, you know, amazing artists. Who else did you work with, Matt? So we, so on the podcast, we had James Arthur. We wrote a song about hay fever. The whole idea of the, the song was it had to be about something that we'd never normally write about. Okay. So I worked with James. I worked with Griff, who won the Brit Rising Star this year. We did a song about TV box sets. It's kind of like a word search in a song. We got as many references to TV shows as we possibly could. But it's actually a beautiful song. Uh, Tom Grennan did one. Uh, which was great because I got to try and do something that sounded live and brassy, even though I was doing it, you know, with uh, with sample packs and synthesizers in my in my laptop. Um, that was all about high intensity training workouts. Sigrid's done one about TikTok. Becky Hill, who's got the greatest house music voice of all time, maybe um, certainly of now. She did one about uh, that lady, Dr. Pimple Popper, who pops pimples on TV. Oh, what a find that was for me over lockdown. <laughs> I know. So, uh, yeah, a real, a real smorgasbord. Maisie Peters did one about Timothy Chalamet. Ray's done one about birthday cards. So, yeah, it was a real, a real mixture of um, 
of songs and I and I had to sort of uh work to each person's genre. So, you know, I had to make a house track and figure out what is that piano sound that's on every house song ever. Yeah. It's uh, it's the Korg M1 is the answer. It's from that it's yeah. their house piano. Um, and, you know, what sort of kick drum do I need for this track versus a more kind of like acoustic James R3 electric guitar thing? So it was a, it was a, it was a voyage of discovery for me, both in the songwriting, which is weird because I've, I've never heard a, collabor- a collaborative process caught that authentically before because it's kind of hard writing a song with someone because you've both got your ideas there's a bit of a uh, tussle between the two of you and then you settle on whatever the best thing is and then yeah had the, the joy of going off and trying you know get, receiving these vocals like receiving a vocal from becky hill was just a dream yeah and then going right i'm going to produce this into a song which i can play back to becky hill and try not to be embarrassed about i want to pick up on songwriting um again um but just to kind of sort of segue into that, I want to start the playlist, man. I want to ask you what um, song you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. Mm. It's hard on this. This is the I one that everyone struggles with. I thought about it a lot, but for me... You can have some honourable mentions as well, mate. Do you know what? I'm going to stick to my guns on this one because okay. I, uh, what I love is the simplicity of it. And um, I feel like I spend all of my time trying to have an idea where you think, why hasn't someone thought of that before? The ones that you think, that's so obvious. So that's out there for all of us. Someone should have done that. And I think with little musical riffs and little musical ideas, sometimes you hear things and you go, oh, man, that's, that's been there for the taking for 2,000 plus years, 2,021 years. Anyone could have put those notes in that rhythm, in that sequence, but they didn't. And someone did, they found it. And it immediately gets stuck in your head. And what I like about this intro is that once you hear it, you've heard the whole song Mm. and they are brave enough to know how much of an earworm it is that they do not need to add more. And I think it's one of the lessons I learned from taking up producing is you feel Oh God, there's not enough. I haven't got anything in the top end of this song or there's, there's not enough going on in the mid range or, or, or this, this section's a bit dull or whatever. And actually just going, no, no, no. We've got this thing that is just going to drill into someone's head and it's going to get stuck there. And we don't need to do anything. No more bells and whistles. This is it. And so for me, it's the baseline of the White Stripes Seven Nation Army, which lands so with such an impact and the sounds that they've chosen, I, th- I think it's two different bass sounds, mm-hmm. one that's up and one that's down. It's so, um, it's, there's something primal about, about the rhythm of it. I can't put my finger on it, but also I could go up to anyone in the street and say, hum me that bass line, and they'd be able to do it, and they would enjoy doing it. It's proper like back of the coach on the way to Magaluf, <laughs> everybody join in with it. <laughs> yeah. It's got that... It's got that kind of, um, that's almost like a gang feel to it, you know? Um, And you know everything you need to know about the song within the first bar of the song. Yeah. It's amazing. That's a great shout, Matt. In regards to intro, and so you're possibly going to be the perfect person to ask this question to, because I've, I've tried to frame this question correctly for over 300 episodes now. Um, and I've never quite managed to get this question correct. However, working at, at Radio 1 and, and playing, you know, 
and I say it's really great, it's commercial pop music, you know, Absolutely. a majority yeah. of the playlist will be that. Um, so a lot of that music is very, very instant gratification, like yeah. hooks, 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 you know, no fat on it whatsoever. Um, whereas, you know, you mentioned artists like James Arthur that I, I guess a lot of the time will approach songwriting in a more traditional format of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, middle eight chorus. Yeah. Um, I just want to know how you've approached it coming into it now and recently as a songwriter and producer, how you've, do you take on board the fact that when I watch my children's, uh, my children on, on, on their phones and their attention spans and their thumbs are rapid and mm. they've not got time to listen to a, an eight-minute intro to Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. You know, they want bang. They want that, that chorus. They want the song to start with a chorus, you know. And, I'm, and we're seeing bands like more traditional kind of bands like Bring Me to Horizon and things like that now starting songs with kind of more pop sensibilities and, and starting with huge choruses rather than sort of building you up to it. You can see why I've never framed this question right. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to get to it. Um, but I just wonder if the fact that the way that people are listening to music now is far different to how they were maybe 10 years ago or even less. Did any of that impact on how you approach songwriting for this project and specifically the intro? So I think with this project, so, so you're right, by the way, about intros. And I think that... Did you the get the question where I'm going yeah, with it? I did. I think intros as we know, uh, we, as we know them, I mean, they still exist. And actually, sometimes they're iconic. Like, if you think about the new Adele song, whenever mm-hmm. this is going out, but um, uh, Easy On Me, mm-hmm. it's entire... You, you, you get the sense of what the song is from that beautiful piano intro. And it, and, and it does a... It's like a lovely chord progression that she's got. And, and it feels iconic. Like, when you hear it, you're like... Oh, I know what that is. And so some artists can get a, get away with that. But I think for that more sort of mainstream commercial banger, you do want to get slapped in the face with, tell me what this song's about. And the most interesting version of that that I've heard in recent years is Lewis Capaldi and Someone You Loved, because it's basically doing an Adele song, right? It's an amazing, brilliantly sung, emotionally wrought ballad. But, and he could have started it with, the piano, but it starts on a line from the chorus, the, the, the most hooky melody, and then it just goes into the song that it would normally be. And I think that in the world of streaming, that's fantastic, because if the next song comes on and you're just looking for something and you hear this thing that sounds brilliant with his voice, which is amazing, you're like, well, I want to get to that bit again. Give me that and give me more of that again, and it's mm. coming. I think that's an incredibly clever strategy for the, for the streaming age. In terms of the project that I was doing, so because these songs are never getting released anywhere outside of this podcast, and because the listener has been on us with the journey of it, part of the joy of the, the songs, because they're all about silly things, is about building in a bit of a pullback and reveal. So, you know, Tom Walker and I did a song about the dishwasher. But what you never want to do is say, we're singing about a dishwasher. What you want to do is write the song as if you're, talk- as if you're writing a real song. We took them very seriously. So if you listen to that song and hadn't heard the podcast, you'd go, man, this is about a very difficult relationship that Tom Walker's had. And there'll be little clues that get peppered progressively through the song that make you go, hang on, that's a weird turn of phrase. He's talking about it being a machine. Oh, it's- we're now at the chorus. It's now clear that it's a dishwasher. 
And so for me, the idea of taking a chorus and putting it at the start undermines the beauty of the journey of that song, which is... I want to take you on this thing that feels like if you're listening casually, it feels like, oh, it's just a, oh, James Arthur's got a new song out. And then you get to the chorus, you're like, oh, it's about hay fever. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, I approached it, I think, in a much more traditional sense. But I did have a lot of, I, I did think a lot about an intro. And if there was going to be one on it, it had to be, it had to have some character to it. It couldn't just be, okay, here's the chord progression. Here's what we're up to. Um, and, and so, yeah, but I, I, but I think the world, the world has, has changed. And I also think in like in dance music, particularly the radio edits, dance music. And if you think about from, for, from a mixing perspective, I mean, a live mixing perspective, you know, kick drums, loose kick drums at the start and the end, what a gift yeah. because it helps me get from one track 100%. to the other. But now it's just like, get me straight in, straight in. The vocals coming word one. If you listen to any kind of Jax Jones song or even like, the only one I can think that has an intro recently is who've been indulgent is Medusa, mm. who had that sound that everyone's ripped off now. But, um, but yeah, generally it's like, you're straight, just straight in. Mm. Give me the, give me the good, good, the good stuff. Track two. Yes. The song, the, uh, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I didn't grow up in a terribly musical household. Um, I think my mum, you know, bought one album a year and it was whatever album was on the shelf at Tesco's. So, you know, we had like Dido, White Flag, which, to be fair, I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, or, um, you know, an, an Anastasia album, like whatever the album that was big then. Sure. And so I feel like, I got my music through Saturday Morning Kids TV and uh, maybe in my teenage years, you know, the music channels, like, you know, coming home and just sticking the box on, whatever. But I remember really, and I couldn't really put my finger on what the quality was, but I remember finding All Saints, Never Ever, a really sort of unusual and affecting pop song. And... I think they were marketed brilliantly because, you know, it was sort of just after the Spice Girls, sort of just before the Sugar Babies, that kind of era. And they had a sort of a coolness and what felt like an authenticity, whether there was or wasn't, I don't know, I was a kid, but it felt like they were, they were packaged in a way that was more cool and palatable. 100%. And I remember, I remember hearing that song and it just had some really unusual and brave decisions in it. Like there's the sort of talky bit and it, it starts so sparsely and it is like someone's talk, just talking to you. I remember thinking, I've not heard a song like this because my, my world was, you know, S Club 7 on Saturday morning kids TV. Um, and so hearing something that felt a bit more raw, like it wasn't playing the same game that all the other songs were, that I remember thinking, I feel like this this is as close as I've gotten to a, to someone trying to say something in a song. Um, and it was, you know, I think it was at that, that kind of, I mean, God knows when it came out, I find it quite hard to place myself in time, but I was definitely, you know, a, um, I was starting to get teenage emotions and teenage it would feelings. would have been or maybe 96, just 97, that. I think. Yeah. So I was probably like 11 or 12 then you know, just sort of starting to come into the, that teen, that approaching being a teenager and feeling like, oh, heartbreak. 
I fancy this skirt at my school. Oh my god, it was it was sort it sort of conjures up that for me. They were marketed so well because you know that that, that was I was already sort of, I guess DJing clubs and stuff then, and it would have been at the kind of just as Britpop was maybe tailing off a little bit, and and all of a sudden you know you'd seen the Spice Girls and all their iconic outfits, but All Saints kind of looked like the girls you saw in the clubs. They just had combats on and trainers, mm. and and it was like all oh, right and. And there weren't really ambitious vocals either. It was like it was all quite soft and it was all quite gentle and, and never ever he's a really strange song. Like it's mm. almost like as he's, I'm trying to recall the, the opening. Has it got like a, a, a almost like a gospel like Yeah, no, so it starts really um it's really thin. It's like just a piano or something, and it's it's not even sung, it's her going, A few questions that I need course, to know. Yeah. And it's it's almost like it's like ASMR before that was a thing. Like she's re- it's like Billie Eilish. She's like really hot on the, really close to the mic. A few questions that I need. She's down there. And um, it's, it's such a weird start to a song. It's like, a, it's almost like a little, um, like spoken word poem. Mm. And then it comes in with the bass, I think. But it's very like, it's just like little hi hats. There's nothing, it's like nothing going on. Um, and then when the chorus lands, and you, it goes so wide because you've got all these brilliant harmonies they've got, um, it just feels like it's sort of washing over you. But then there's like a weird breakdown section where they go back to talking. I think Shazne does the, this like little, I don't know, it's like, uh, it's like a talky section. It's just a really unusually mm. made song. Um, and it feels really cool. It feels like it feels laid back. It's the opposite energy to me. It's mm. just like uh, it's just like someone who's like really at e- cool and at ease, and you know, there's no um, there's no stress. It's like, hey, yeah, we're just just sort of chatting around this stuff here. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's the sort of song that in a- hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Uh, in a um, 
we'll probably go and Google it in a second and find out that it was written by like a Swedish hit maker. But it feels like in a world of Max Martin pop dominance, which by the way, I loved, where everything is sort of mathematically designed to make the best pop song. It felt like it broke a lot of rules. So, uh, see, I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with that making music a science like when it's like right this <laughs> this is the formula so i've i've had um preston in the ordinary boys who's then gone on to write for julian glacius and uh the vamps and chain smokers and and, I, and i've sort of spoke to him and uh at length about the, the, the you know these kind of formulas and these these huge producers and, and songwriting you know legends that make these perfect pop songs and do you think that do you think that that's healthy? Do you think that there should be something more organic about songwriting? It should be more led by emotion and feeling and 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 I don't know like, I guess as somebody that grew up i mean I grew up in the eighties so I'm obsessed with perfect pop music because I think mm. you, you know M- M- Madonna Michael Jackson, all of these you know huge artists from the eighties had just the most perfect pop sensibilities in their records ever um but I also like the concept of four people picking up guitar, bass, drums and, and a mic and jamming something out and creating a Radiohead or creating a, a Stone Roses or, 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 or whatever. And I think I do worry, certainly with how music is evolving and how listening habits are evolving and how attention spans are listening. Just not trying to sort of circle back onto where I started, but I, I do find that quite odd. It fascinates me, the science of songwriting, when it's looked at as a formula something don't sit right with me did you get what i'm saying see i i feel quite quite differently about it i think i think there's space by the way for both of those of course of course processes to to live side by side and i think that's, that's what makes life exciting but i like the fact that like i like the fact that coldplay can give us the scientist which is you know some slightly you know they've got some seventh chords in there and some unusual things going on it's chris martin doing his sort of like um from the heart songwriting thing. But I also love that Coldplay can do a song with BTS, which just gets stuck in your head Mm. and becomes an anthem. And I think there's something about, I think there's something beautiful about Chris Martin going, right, I'm in one of the biggest bands in the world, probably the biggest band in the world. We're going to be playing a stadium. I kind of need something that's going to land immediately and have everyone singing back at us. And I think that's an incredibly hard brief. I think it's so hard to sit down and write that, which is why not everyone's doing it. And the fact that he's, figured out what it what it is that he needs to do to be able to evoke that and has done it time and again i think is amazing and i think you know i i am drawn to format over almost anything else so with telly i love you know you can have an idea for a show oh there should be a show about um baking okay great that's literally five percent of what i need from you what's the 95 percent? what's the format what happens in round one oh, well, we're going to have them uh, all bake something they want to bake. Okay, what happens in round two? Oh, we're going to give them a mystery bake. Great, now I'm in. What happens in the last one? Oh, we're going to get them to do the, the maddest one they can around the thing. Great, we've got a format. Fantastic. Let's this go. sounds like a great show, Matt. I'm going to get it away. I think it's going to be big. <laughs> um, and, so, and so for me, I love format. I love it. And actually, one of the things that I was – you asked what I did in lockdown. The second thing I did in lockdown, a lot alongside the music, was I made a board games company. And that's all around format. And it starts with, you know, an initial idea of 
well, what could we what could we do? One of the games is called So Wrong It's Right. And I was like, oh, a game where you have to give a wrong answer. That's fun. But that isn't a game. So what's the format? Okay, well, maybe if every answer is two words, I can do fun things with them. So I could do it so that I you have to say the answer backwards. So instead of saying Bob Marley, you say Marley Bob. Okay, there's a, that's a, that's a wrong thing. Okay, good. What's another wrong thing I could do with it? Oh, I could spoonerize it so it becomes mob barley. Well, that's good. I like that. Maybe I could do it so you don't say the first letter. So I'd get ob arley. That's good as well. And then you slowly whittle down a broader idea into a thing that fits into a format. And I love that about songwriting because you do end up saying what you need to say in such a small section of time. And I love the mathematics of it. I love the, the, the feeling of, well, we've given people this melodic line in verse one. They're going to want it again in verse two. We could change it up, but it's going to be to our own detriment because the human brain likes patterns. We like repetition. We like knowing what's coming. So why would we do that? Why not yeah. try and find, find it? And you could, you could argue, well, the line's more authentic or it, it feels, it, 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 the meaning's better if we add an extra syllable in. But I would argue, write better. Let's, let's find a way of saying that same thing, but that does it in a way that's going to be satisfying for the audience. And so, yeah, I, um, I absolutely love the, the, the format and formula of, of, pop, of pop music. What's interesting is I've had sort of only two experiences of the songwriting. There's been making Not Another Love Song, which have, which have all been me keeping my distance from emotion because it's been uh, silly songs. You know, I can't have that much emotion about a dishwasher. Mm-hmm. Well, I tried. It's like a safe place to write a song mm-hmm. because you go, we're here, we're having fun. I can focus on the production and I'm, I'm, I'm giving, I'm sort of giving a, a, a synthesis of a real song, not in the sense of a synthesizer, but like I'm going to make it, it's going to look like a song. It's going to sound like a song. It's going to feel like a song. Uh, but the joke is, it's about something that's not meaningful. And that's been a very useful uh, learning tool for me. But I had the, the other song that I wrote in lockdown, which was, I sort of wrote in parallel with them. Um, We're going to talk uh, about this, right? Well, we'll talk, we'll talk about this one later. So we'll come to this. We'll yeah. come on to it later. We'll come on to that later. And I'll, I'll explain how I realised, oh, actually, maybe the emotion's more important than... You can talk the, about this whenever you want, because I know that it's I'll obviously about, deeply personal, so you can talk about this. Oh, no, no. When we come on to it, I'll talk about it. Yeah? It's a good tease as well. It'll keep people listening. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the <laughs> meantime, in the meantime, um, can you tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, Matt? Yes. It is five, Keep On Moving. Okay. Oh my goodness. I mean, I, so I have a sister who's older than me by two years. And so she sort of got into music and, you know, we were like a big mainstream, listen to the chart uh, on the radio pair of uh, siblings. And um, she, she very much instructed me in my musical tastes because she was into it and I was, you know, 10 or whatever and eight and she was 10. And, um, and yeah, five were a big deal for us. They were sort of, again, marketed brilliantly. They were like the, the bad boy band. Oh, they're so naughty. Um, you know, we'd had like, uh, I guess, Westlife were at a similar time. And I'll be honest, can't fault some Westlife songs. Flying Without Wings, what a banger. But, um, but yeah, five felt a bit cheeky. And, and again, I was obsessed with television and, and Saturday morning kids TV. And they would sort of turn up and 
they would synthesize being a bit bad on telly, you know, or not playing by the rules. And uh, I'm a very good boy. And uh, so that was quite interesting. You know, I've always, I've sort of always been attracted to the energy of people that I think, my God, we would never normally hang out. We would never do it. They're my favorite people to interview, you know, like interviewing Tom Grennan. He's, he's so the opposite of me. He sort of doesn't worry about things, doesn't care about consequences. He's quite like laddie. I love spending time with people who are, the, who, who are really different to me. And mm. I think I got a bit of that from, from five. And the song Keep On Moving, which I think is a Max Martin, or at least it's a sort of like Swedish um, pop banger. It's just fantastic. It's an the amazing vocals, pop record, that. The vocals are great. And you talk about like an iconic intro. It gets in and you recognise that sound immediately. And I've, you know, I've sort of, as a side effect of working at Radio 1, done quite a lot of live DJing work. And if you get an audience that, that were grew up in the 90s and you play Five Keep On Moving, or like a, you know, a wedding if it comes on, it's, it's so, it's the definition of feel good, isn't it? It's that intro, the little guitar line, and then the break beat. It goes ding, 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 ding. Yeah. It's this really, like, thin-sounding synthesised yeah. guitar. Ding, 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 yeah. ding, ding. And it's got, like, a... Someone doing, yeah. like, a DJ turntable on it. But um, I think it's Sean's vocal on it. He's got such a beautiful voice. Mm. It's so, like... Um, it's so... It carries so much bass in it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. But, um... I mean, it, and it makes, it's about nothing. It makes absolutely no sense. Get on up when you're down, take a good look around, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like every five song was about either getting up or down. It was like, if you're getting down, baby, five will make you get up. It was, you know, they, they loved getting up and getting down. Um, <laughs> who doesn't? Who doesn't? I mean, I do it multiple times. I'll probably do it after. I'm currently getting down by the chair and after this podcast, I probably will get up. So they, they were onto something there. Um, yeah, and it reminds me of, you know, pure school disco time and the school disco felt pretty magical. I mean, I, I've i never felt hugely comfortable at parties um, or, um, or or going out. And I and even as a kid, I can remember feeling quite anxious around, oh, God, it's a school disco, I've got to go, everyone's going to be there. What, what, were you, um, what were you anxious about? I don't know. I, I, I think I just don't like... Uh, being in I, I really like chit chat and I don't like being in a situation where like I can't talk to people now it's it's odd so I I think we're going to come on to this but I was never a big clubber mm-hmm. and um because of my job I've I've my first experience really as a club was like DJing at one and I, I and I find and I find this at gigs sometimes as well and I've spoken to other people about it and I've not met anyone who feels the same so it is just it's just me I think I sometimes get this quite strange out-of-body experience where I feel I'm incredibly aware of my own humanity. I know that sounds quite odd, but where I overanalyze what's going on, I'm like, this is so weird. It's just a load of our species in this space, and we're all flailing our bodies in time to this beat, and it feels good, and that... I can't get my mind away from, I can't, I can't let go. I'm not very, I, I, I'm not, I can't relax and join in. And so I think I had the, I think I had the anxiety around that. It was just something about, um, yeah, maybe like being taken out of my normal routine or something. I found them quite, I found them a bit stressful. 
Do you, um, do you think that? I mean, you talk about routine and structure and format uh, mm. quite a lot, and you know, I, I guess. I mean, just before we get into this, I'm exactly the same as you. I've been a club promoter though for for thirty years, but I'm exactly the same as you. I like to talk to people, and I stand in a packed club, and unless I'm DJing, and I, if I'm in that crowd, I'm quite awkward, and mm. I find the whole thing. Very similar to how you described it, but I find that's quite primal. That 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 whole thing of like right, everybody's moving in kind of unison. Oh, it's amazing, kind of, right? It's an, and, and it is, what amazing but, thing we do. But it doesn't give me the joy that I see on other people's faces, and I'm then exactly that's why I question myself. I'm like, mm. it's got to be me, not them. Like, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I get. I think I get quite. Um, I've got a very busy brain, and so any time that. You know, if someone said, hey, do you want to have an experience where it's just going to be sort of you and your own thoughts for a bit? I would try and avoid that at all costs. I made the terrible error of doing a flotation tank once. Have you ever done one of those? See, that's on my bucket list. Don't do it. It's awful. It's one of those things where it's like basically like a, an oyster clam. It's like a coffin that you get into and it's got um, water in it and loads of salt and so the idea is that your body just sort of floats in it and you're meant to spend an hour just sort of relaxing like you're back in the womb. It's completely and, sensory... Um, mm, deprivation. Uh, deprivation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, and the, the water's the same temperature as your body, so you don't really feel it. And you're sort of floating there and there's very little light. <laughs> and my God, it was like... It was Hello, like darkness, my old friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I have the same I have the same sort of feeling in a, in, a, in a club, which is like, unless I'm like with really with my mates and we're singing along to songs that we know the minute it's sort of like oh we're just kind of dancing and no one's talking and oh god i'm just it's just me in my own head oh no that's that's what i'm trying to avoid um so yeah i sort of need i need to be doing something i whatever this whatever stimulation it's giving other people i'm not quite getting from it um what does give you joy uh making things making things gives me joy I really like uh, I like making stuff, and I sort of don't mind if no one ever sees them, if if that makes sense. So I'm really happy and content doing a doodle on an iPad. It's got one of those pens you can draw on an iPad. But like, mm-hmm. I've, just, I've just drawn a really good picture of a dinosaur here, and it, I was in my own head doing it for an hour. Yeah. I was just really, I was just all all that there was in the world was me and this dinosaur. That gives me joy. That I love it. Um, and and it's the same, you know, coming up with the board games. That gives me joy. And obviously I want people to play, people to play them, but it's more just the thing of, I had this idea and I've got it out of my body. That's yeah. like my whole, it's, it's sort of what I want to do all of the time. And sometimes yeah. that can be problematic because there are, you know, lots of other parts of life to get enjoyment from. And, uh, and you know, having, having a kid has had to skew me l- away from being quite you know insularly creative yeah. into oh let's do some stuff together and actually things we do together that are creative i love but also things that we do together that aren't i also really love it's um it's you know the, i think the happiest point of my week is when i take my daughter swimming because it's sort of it's occupying my mind in the same way in that I can't let a child drown. Mm-hmm. And so that's very like keeping you in the present. But also it's incredibly enriching to see her progress and to see her kind of 
do what she does, and also just hang out in a way where there's not an iPad nearby, or that we're, we're not having to. Oh, I've just got to wipe the kitchen surface. It's just like it's just you and me. We're in this pool. I'm going to stop you from sinking to the bottom, and uh, you know you're going to hopefully improve. What's the first record you bought from a record store? Well, it wouldn't have been a record, I imagine. Uh, it was a cassette. Okay. It, yeah, it was a cassette. And it was Len, Steal My Sunshine. What a cracker. Oh, my God. It was a fantastic song. And boy, did I listen to it a lot. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I don't know where I had heard it. I, I'm wondering if it was on an advert or maybe it would have been on Live and Kicking or something. But I heard it and I. it was... I guess it was the first version of being drawn, and I think it's the world we're in now, of being drawn to the song over the product. Mm. So I feel like as a kid, everything, all the music I, I got that, that entered my world through very mainstream sources was a product. It's five, we're a boy band, buy a ticket to our tour, mm-hmm. buy the T-shirt, come and, watch, come and watch the live show. This was... An artist, Len, I don't know who they are. Couldn't pick them out of a lineup now. I just loved the song. I was just like, that is such a joyful thing to listen to. I want to listen to it lots. And I think as time has moved on and as as the era of streaming has hit us, and also as the sort of diversification media has happened, where it's not just like, oh, you've got two or four channels to watch, so eat this or you know, go off and try and carve your own path in a way that's going to be quite inaccessible. Now, it's all about the song. It, I mean, it totally is, because Spotify's just going, you like that? What about this? You don't care whether it's... I mean, obviously, some people have massive fan bases still, you know, your big hitters, your Taylor Swifts, your uh, Ed Sheerans. But if the song isn't great, then... You've got no chance. And actually, sometimes if the song is great, you don't have a chance because it's in competition with so many other songs that are great. Like, you know, Katy Perry, back 10 years ago, Katy Perry could have released anything and it would have top, gone top 10. Last year, she released a song called Never Really Over, which is a, just the most unbelievably good pop song. It's so good. It didn't do much. It didn't get anywhere. And she's Katy Perry. Mm. But... Medusa can come out with a with good boys and you've never heard of either of those two people and they can do a song that's really good and then suddenly they're the next big thing in dance music and everyone's ripping that sound off and you know we're playing a guy at the moment Ewan McVicker who's sampled a um, Shaka Khan song Tell Me Something Good he's just like a guy who's come out of nowhere made this remix everyone loves and suddenly we're, that's getting played everywhere and I think that that is there's a real democracy around that of if you make a banger there's a chance someone's going to hear it and love it and it will, it will snowball. Mm. And I'm sure there are people making bangers that that never happens for, and it must be heartbreaking. But um, it's not as simple as, I'm a pop star, eat whatever I give you anymore. Absolutely. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I was going to ask, um, I mean... Just while you're thinking of that, I'm going to plug my laptop, and I realise I've not plugged it. No in. problem. And it's giving me the terrifying. Um, you're on twenty percent, and we've got into the red. Hang on. Uh. Right, I'm back with you. Sorry. Okay. Right. Well, for track five, let's 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 move on to uh, to track five, which was a song uh, that soundtrack your your years that you didn't have uh, in Clubland. It turns out. <laughs> Yeah, so I um, I never got into clubbing. I um, the idea of it, I think I found it a bit scary. Um, so I I I, I think I was quite an unusual teenager, and it, at the time it didn't feel like that. But um, I think looking back, it was probably because of the sort of circumstances around what was going on in my life at that time, which we will talk about later. Um, but you know, I I, I didn't uh, drink, and uh, and I still don't, and so that had that had, there was a sort of nervousness around, oh, what if I go to this place and everyone's going to be drunk and I'm not? That's going to feel quite difficult. I also think in terms of my own sort of like maturity as a, as a teenager, I was very, I, I didn't have that same thing. I didn't want to go out and have loads of one night stands. And I didn't, I don't know. I, I, I was, I think a little bit less mature than maybe other people at that point in terms of like that emotional maturity. And so, I found the idea of like, oh, let's all go to a nightclub and get smashed and pull girls. I was a bit like, oh, I feel quite uncomfortable about that, about all of that. Um, and, I, and I much prefer just sort of doing things with my mates, like going around to their house or, you know, going for a cup of tea after school. Um, and so the world of clubbing, I found it a bit like, oh, no, not for me. And I think, you know, I've always felt incredibly responsible and like I needed, need to be a bit of a grown up. Um, in terms of how I conduct myself. And uh, that felt like too much of a release. There's a sort of an inbuilt tension in me that I was unable to uh, to stretch to going and doing that. And so, you know, it's, it's a miracle I wound up on, on Radio 1. Um, but I think that's sort of the beautiful thing about Radio 1 is that it, it's, it, can, it can have Pete Tong there and it can have me there. And we're doing two very different things. And, you know, I... I had this real worry that, oh, God, I'm not cool enough to be on Radio 1. And actually, you realise most people just aren't cool. Like, how many cool people do you actually know? I don't know many. Like, most people are just pretty uncool. And I'm there repping them. Um, and that is, you know, a lot of, a lot of every, everyone's audience is people who just have quite normal lives. And I think in the, uh, in the, the normality is where I thrive. And, and it is quite a strange uh, kind of turn of events to, to, to not want to go clubbing, to not want to, you know, necessarily, you know, lose yourself in, in, in the moments when you're at club, when you go clubbing and, 
and to you know to go out and uh, you know as you say like poor girls and things like that like do you do you do you like attention though because no. you know your voice is, is is going out to a hell of a lot of people, and you know your face has been on television a lot. And do, do you like that attention? You know, which, I mean, I just want to get a bit more of a kind of picture of what you was like at that age. Was you a show off? No, so, so I, I probably was a show off in one respect. Yes, I think. Um, I, I think it's weird. It's I do like attention, but in the but in very specific circumstances. So. I, I've never been big on uh, wanting to be famous necessarily. It's sort of like a side product of the things that I like doing, which are presenting things, communicating with people. And, um, but, you know, I've, I've sort of been at it for quite a while and I only literally last month got a PR because I wanted to tell people about the podcast I've made. I'd never had PR before that because I sort of, didn't need I didn't feel like I needed to make everyone aware of what I was up to but as a um as a kid I was into magic I was one of those kids so I got really into doing close-up magic so I learned loads of tricks I got into the junior magic circle and then later the magic circle and um what I I think there were two things I got from it and we could I could really probably go back and sort of analyze why I got into it but I think the two things I got from it were it was like a safety net for social interaction so that if I was in a room full of loads of people who were a bit pissed, it was something that I could do that created a little barrier between me and the rest of the world, which is like, I'm going to show this thing, ingratiate myself into you because there's, we have nothing else in common. So maybe showing you this thing will we'll do it. I also just loved the, the learning of it. Like I really like learning things, I guess a bit like, you know, the music, learning the music or learning the graphic design of the board game stuff. I just like learning stuff. So there was a real sense of, oh, there's this thing that I want to learn and, and do. Um, and then the other thing was I've always been incredibly sort of ambitious or maybe I'm just the right, right word, but like I've really known what I want to do. And so for me... You're driven, it right? A, driven, but it was, it was, it's more specific than that. It's, it's I know that I want to present television programs that was it that was from age seven probably that is what i want to do well how am i going to get the experience because i i don't have a tv studio in my house well i did try and you know set one set ones up i used to put a little alarm clock on the mantelpiece and i would practice talking for exactly 30 seconds and if i was out by a second i'd do it again and for me it was a thing of this is training for for explaining things to people, getting their attention, finding out the best way of crafting things. All of that comes from the presentational side of magic. You're basically doing a TV show for one person when you're doing a magic trick. And so I was really aware that, um, that it was going to be, at some point, it might be useful to me to get good at that stuff. And, and somebody that, you know, I'm just kind of not trying to psychoanalyze you in any way, shape or form, <laughs> but, but the, 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 the kind of idea of like format and distraction and lots of kind of like, I mean, DJing is very reminiscent to what you just said about magic in an environment where you can go there, you can go there, you can do your DJing you, and then you can go away and it's yeah. your, that's why I'm here and I can make my exit whenever. Like, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't, 
yeah, I'll, I'll leave. I'll leave that alone because I was just kind of. It just feels like. Well, I guess where I was going with it was like the idea of like presenting on television and wanting to present television shows means that there's there's fame involved in that, mm. and then when you reach a certain level of fame, it's out of your control. Yeah, well, thank does that, that, does, got, does that ever got, scare you? No, I because I don't think I'm ever going to get to that level of fame. I'm, I'm, I think that the sweetest spot, which is, um, some people know what I do, and generally they'll just tell you that they like it. And, um, but there's not, you know, there's nothing interesting going on in my life. There's no scandal. There's no, um, there's no headlines. It's just like I, it's for me. It's all about the work. It's just like, can I do? Can I do the work? And um, I don't need to be the biggest thing in the world. I just want to do projects that I'm interested in. And, and that sort of keeps me satisfied. So, yeah, I don't think I'm... I, I, it doesn't worry me because I don't think it's going to... I don't think it's going to um, happen. And yeah, I've been really fortunate that all the things I've done, generally people have been really positive about and, and really liked. And, and, and also you're sort of... Sometimes you're more famous than other times. You know, if you've got a show on the TV... Mm-hmm then maybe you're sort of in people's minds for like the next week, you're maybe a little bit more recognisable. But it's amazing how quickly that ebbs away between projects. Yeah. It's, you know, you, you just sort of, you, you just become part of the noise. And that's sort of where I'm happy. Track six, I'm going to take you home. And I want a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. My home county. Oh, you've gone country as well, country. haven't you? It's fine. Country. It's fine. You're with the other oh. 297 people of the oh 300. My God. Don't worry. That's so weird. I re- must have read it about three times <laughs> as well. I'm going to look at who is in musicians from Portsmouth, because that's where I'm from. So let me let me have a Google now. Here we go. See if there's anybody. Um, artists bands from Portsmouth. Let's have a look. See if there's anybody on here that I recognise or care about. Uh, so far... No. Who we got? Who um, we got? What's on the list? Amanda Holden. I didn't know she was from Portsmouth. I didn't know she had much of a musical career. No, I think she's probably done a bit, hasn't she? Um, I mean, I don't. I genuinely don't recognise any of these names. Um, we've got Lovelies, 1980s and 1990s. Don't know them. Um, a lot of them are stage and screen. Um, it's, I'm going to have to say myself, I think, aren't I? I I'm probably my favourite musician from my own county. <laughs> go it's, for it. It's me. Um, well, look, so, let's go country. For, for Who did you go for for country? I went for Muse and Starlight. But I think they're from, like, T- Falmouth or somewhere. They are, like, they like, are, yeah. Deepest, darkest uh, Cornwall or Devon right. or somewhere like yeah. that. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, Muse and Starlight. I, um, I just... I love the song. I love um, everything it does. It's it's the um, that sort of melodic. I don't I don't know what instrument it is. I think it's a piano. Um, the dum 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 da dum dum. It's definitely dum. a piano. Yeah. Yeah. That bit. I I just love it. I love it. And it was it. That song reminds me of my wife and our sort of like um, early early relationship or maybe sort of like uh, quite 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 way into the relationship but um it um it was a song that we both just fell in love with and we we would catch each other doing that bum 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 around the house all the time and so it immediately makes me think of her and um yeah it's it's great it's uh you know i it's got a sort of pop sensibility but Mm. from a from a from a rocky angle and actually you know you mentioned bring me the horizon earlier if you, if it didn't have um, Ollie's 
voice on it. Those are just fantastic songs. Mm. Like, take away the genre. There's great, brilliantly written songs, mm. but that are giving you a different flavour of instruments or attitude or, or vibe. And, um, yeah, I think that 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 whole that whole album, was it Black Holes and Revelations, yeah. that Muse album? Just think it was... Um, it was great and i loved i loved that song and i love muse generally i think they do really interesting things and the more i learn about music and music composition the and the and the more i listen to sort of iconic bands or songs you go oh man they're doing that thing that's really that's really clever or not clever not clever but like i think it is clever like yeah, i definitely think muse uh, they're a clever band they're doing some clever stuff they they've got a lot of um they've got a lot of things going on with uh yeah, sort of unusual hundred timings. You know, I think when they come out, like I was lucky to see them very, very early on, and 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 there was just basically they were they were kind of being written off as a bit of a poor man's Radiohead, and then mm. all of a sudden they just found their groove, and it was like, oh no, hang on a minute, these are are a legit incredible outfit here, and and I think he really. Not that he, he'd ever really sung a note wrong, but I think you know by the time you get to Black Holes and stuff like that, it's his voice. You know what you're going to get now, and his mm. voice is like it's 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 not necessarily my cup of tea because there's lots of falsetto in there, mm. but he just hits it and live. Oh, have you seen Muse live? I haven't. I would love to. It's a it's an event. It really yeah. is. It is. Although something. I would go into my own head and think this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> lots of people stood here, all facing the same direction. How was Muse last night? Yeah, it was a bit weird. There was this awkward guy, and he just started doing magic in front of me, and then he yeah, just exactly, left. Yeah. <laughs> it was, he knew that I was going to give the seven of diamonds. It was incredible. Okay, um, for the last track. Uh, Matt, I'd, I'd like you to tell me, please, a song that you think many people uh, may not know that you would like them to hear, please. Yeah, so uh, full disclosure, it's one I made. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's Your Car, and the artist is Amy Weir. So this is the song that um, when lockdown hit, you know, all the stuff I've described about being in an isolation tank of, oh, we're trapped in a space with your own thoughts. We all, I think, had quite a bit of that going on. Um, in that normally the business of life, oh, I'm on the tube, I'm listening to a podcast, I'm, I'm, oh, I've got a meeting, I'm running late for this, I've got to go and get some lunch, I've got to... All of it just stopped. And I was in a room and I decided, as I've said, oh, I'm going to learn how to write some songs. And um, at the same time, I had, or you know, just before the pandemic, I'd started to have some therapy. And I'd had it because I was getting these sort of um, depressive episodes and, and feeling quite anxious and I thought, you know, this is bad. And I'd also had this um, diagnosis of a uh, sort of a, like a mood disorder, although it sort of feels like the wrong way, of, a mood condition called cyclothymia, which is like a watered-down bipolar. So, you know, okay. bipolar is like extreme hypermania and extreme uh, can't-get-out-of-bread depression. Cyclothymia is sort of touching the sides of those two things. You, you have depressive episodes and you have these very up, um, uh, for me, manifested as very extremely productive episodes where I you know, have, have loads of ideas and feel like a bit of a superhero and goff and t- something that would normally take me two weeks to do. I do it a day, yeah. you know. Um, and, so I, and so I was sort of coming to terms with, oh, I've got this thing. I thought maybe I was depressed, but actually it's sort of, oh, I'm depressed and I'm also really up sometimes. Can I try and manage that? Maybe I need to speak to a therapist. And so that led me to this therapist. And 
I don't know if you've had any therapy or for anyone listening, have any therapy, you know, almost the first thing they do is say, well, tell me about your childhood. And you think, oh my God, what a cliche. Well, what's, what's, what's there? What's to be, what's to be buried back there? And if you'd have asked me before that therapy session, how's your childhood? I'd be like, it was great. I had a great time. Let's move on. And we started doing a bit of, a bit of digging. And uh, she said, you know, tell me about your family. So I started saying, oh, my sister's two years older than me and my mom, you know. Um, and then I said, and, you know, my dad, when I was 22, my dad, uh, my, he was an alcoholic and he, he killed himself. And, uh, but I, you know, I don't think there's much to go out there. I'm pretty fine about it. And of course she was like, okay, that's an unusual response, that big life event that happened. And I was like, no, seriously, it happened. It was really sad. Uh, you know, I have mixed feelings around it, but let's move on. And of course, she didn't let us move on and we spoke about it. And this sort of seal of, um, of I guess, repression that I had created got opened up. And um, I had to confront this thing that had happened, which was, you know, age 22, discovering that my dad was an alcoholic, although, that, my God, there were so many clues from my childhood, now I know it didn't really know that as a kid but you know explains a lot and then him him taking his own life and the sort of the hatred I had towards him around that the uh just how shocking it was um he and I didn't have a great relationship before he'd killed himself so there was lots to lots to uh I mean lots to unpick as you can imagine and one of the things that she the therapist said is you know maybe um try and write some of this down or maybe even try and write your dad a letter and i just couldn't do it you know the the idea of sitting down and, and doing that is exactly what i tried to avoid you know sitting sitting in a room and thinking about it it just wasn't on my it didn't feel like a com- the opposite of a comfortable thing to do and so I put it off and put it off and put it off and thought I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna do it. But was was getting you know making progress and talking about it with the therapist. And I hadn't really spoken to anyone else about it. I hadn't spoken to my friends really. You know maybe once a year around his death I'd sort of have a massive cry. My wife would say you know it's okay we can talk about this stuff and I'd say you know talk about it for like two hours and then it'll box get boxed back up. Didn't talk to my mum about it. Didn't talk to my sister about it. They didn't talk to me about it. It was just like, this thing happened. We've all agreed to sweep it under the carpet. And so I was starting to come to terms with it a bit, or at least come to terms of talking about it. And I thought, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a song. This was like day three of the pandemic. I was write a song. And I bought a MIDI keyboard and I thought, I'll start it on piano. I can't play the piano, but I thought, I'll figure it out. You know, I'll, I'll find some chords that sound nice together. And I laid these chords down and I was like, oh, they're nice. And I just looped them. So they're just going around in a cycle. And uh, I thought, right, let's write a song. And as I sort of described earlier with, you know, lyrics and melody, it doesn't really feel like I'm in control of it. It's just like, oh, it's that, it's going to be that. And I had this sort of, melodic idea come in and sometimes and you find this with songwriting in general sometimes you just place hold words there syllables that that work words that work and I put in this thing this line that was I'd always hated the smell of your cars I don't know why but it just the, it, the words fit the rhythm and I was like I guess with my dad I kind of did because as a teenager we'd had this big falling out 
I was really aware that he was drinking too much. I wasn't aware that I hadn't put the label alcoholic on it, but I probably knew that he had a very unhealthy relationship with drink. And we'd have these moments where I would need to have a lift somewhere. And there was this huge tension between us. So, but he's an adult and I'm not, and he's the one who can drive me there, but he's also too drunk to be driving. So I'm scared in, I need to go to this place, but I'm scared of traveling in the car I have this feeling of like, I'm going to sit in the front just in case something goes on with this. Am I going to have to grab the steering wheel or whatever? And I'd never really thought about it or thought about what that was like for me as, as a kid. And as I started writing the song, it came out in like 10 minutes. I wrote everything that summarized how I'd felt within that song. It's like everything I would need to say about what had happened was about my childhood, his drinking, his death. It was in that song. And I got to the end of it and I was, I mean, it was an, I've not had an experience like it. I was so, um, you know, I was just blubbing my, bawling my eyes out writing this thing. And it was like, you know, people describe, oh, I'm just, it wasn't me that wrote the song. I was just channeling the song. It felt like that. It felt like it was just sort of coming through me, happened so quickly. I was in a, total emotional state in this spare bedroom on my own at the start of the pandemic and I got to the end of this sort of 10 minutes I was like oh I think I've written this song what do I do and I thought well I'd never do anything with it never because there was a lot of shame attached to it for me and I was like I just I've just written it. I'll never do anything with it but I thought I'll work on maybe some of the production elements and just see if I can get it sounding how I want it to sound and then I sort of finished that and thought, I'm going to need to get someone to sing this. So my friend Amy, who's a brilliant singer and songwriter, I phoned her up and I had to explain what I've just explained to you to her, which was very difficult because I've never really explained it to anyone. And she agreed to sing it and she sent me the vocal back and her voice is just amazing. And she really took it beyond what I imagined. You know, she really sort of connected to what I, the storytelling of it. And then I spent a month maybe every day just working on this song because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I'd never made a song before. And I sort of learned how to mix it, learned a bit of mixing. Oh, I can listen back to it now and hear loads of things that I do differently, but that's life, isn't it? Um, mixed it, got it into a shape. And then I just was like, right, I'm never going to play this to anybody. I didn't even play it to my wife. It was like, it just exists. I sent it to Amy and said, thanks for doing it. This is what it sounds like. Didn't do anything sat on it for maybe five months and then it was coming up to the anniversary of my dad's death and I was like oh I've had such a sort of personal breakthrough maybe I should talk about this publicly it might help somebody else who's been in a similar situation and actually this song does kind of say everything that I want but it was jointly terrifying because it was it feels very exposing putting a song out when you've never put a song out before you think you're gonna get ridiculed and also saying, oh, by the way, this hugely traumatic thing happened in my life and I'm going to tell you about it. Uh, and so, you know, I had to go and talk to my mum about it and my sister because it was, you know, we'd sort of, the story was, oh, you know, it was an unfortunate thing that happened, but never mind. And I had to go and say, look, actually, it wasn't great for me. And um, this is sort of my side of that story. And uh they were very good about it. And then we, and then I, I, I put it out on Twitter and just sort of, um, I put it on SoundCloud, like, like I'm an underground musician because uh, I didn't know how else to get it onto the internet. And um, 
I put it up on Twitter and I just let my phone off for a day and came back to it. And the, um, the feedback was, um, was really amazing. Um, mainly from people who'd had very similar experiences, you know, whose parents had been alcoholics or who had lost someone to suicide or, um, or even some people who, you know, were alcoholic themselves or had bipolar because my dad sort of, that was part of, part of his condition as well. Uh, and just had thousands and thousands of messages from people saying, you've summarized this thing, this lived experience for me. And I've played your song to my partner because I can't, I've not been able to explain what it was like growing up, but this explains it. And so yeah, it was an incredibly cathartic and powerful thing. And it, and it sort of broken that seal. And as I've just spoken at length about it, means that I feel able to talk about it in a way that doesn't feel bogged down with shame or concern or worry. And um, it's been nothing but, but positive in my life and in the lives of lots of people that connected to it uh, since. And so, yeah, it's that, that, that's the one I've gone for. Lovely. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone's ever... Uh, answered that question quite so beautifully as that, and uh, and cheers for sharing that, Matt. That's that's really, oh no worries that's at all. Amazing. Um, I think it's I think it's important to you know talk about it. If, you know, if obviously it's still affecting you massively, and it is affecting me. But you know, I, having had the break, the sort of breakthrough, I hope that if anyone could be listening to this, thinking, God, I maybe could do with talking to someone about it. As as hard as therapy seems, my God, it was just just the best thing to go and do. Where can people listen to that now? So we stuck it on all the music platforms. So it's on Spotify and Apple and all the rest of it. So if you search Amy, which is A-Y-M-E-E, Weir, W-E-I-R, the song's called Your Car. And hopefully you'll get to discover some of Amy's other music as well because she's sort of, you know, a star waiting in the wings. Um, yeah, so it's, it's on all the, all the music streaming places. Wonderful. Well, that's great to know because, um, Matt, we put a Spotify playlist together to accompany the podcast oh, of all the, all the songs that we've spoken about today so people can go and check that out uh, alongside all the other songs that we've chatted about today um so as as we see that 2021's going to end in a, a far more hopefully connected and 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 happier place than, than, than maybe 2020 finished um what are you looking forward to for uh, the rest of the year personally and what's going to be happening professionally so the rest of this year i'm uh I'm I'm panicked because I started putting out the Not Another Love Song podcast before I finished making the album. So I'm sort of um, chasing my own tail a bit. So I've I've, I've got to mix Be- the Becky Hill song. So I've finished the production. I've got to mix it. And I haven't, um, I still haven't received a vocal from Ray yet because she's currently on tour. So I've got to get that and then mix her song. Um, so that's looming over me. We're also, as we come up to Christmas, it's like, uh, I, so I set up this board games company in lockdown and we, we've done three games. One is one that I invented with my daughter um, called Egg Slam. The other is that one I described earlier, So Wrong It's Right, the sort of trivia thing. And we've got a game called Answergrams, which is another trivia thing, sort of mixed with a countdown conundrum. And um, we started it last, last year, me and my brother-in-law, and we, we ordered some Answergrams and they also sold out in a week before Christmas. And it was mad. We didn't know what we were doing. It was a total shambles, but... This year we're a bit more organised, and um, and yeah, we, we're about to get into the mad rush of, you know, all it's a it's a weird industry. It's like all of the business happens basically in December sure. because everyone's like, oh, we need a ball game for Boxing Day, um, and we want to be the one that people get. So um, so yeah, there's a lot of that going on going on, and we're basically a two man band on that. It's me doing all the creative and 
all the kind of like social media assets. My wife's looking after our Instagram and my, um, and my, and my brother-in-law's, you know, dealing with factories and distribution and all that sort of stuff. And where can people um, find out all about that? So, uh, I mean, I post about it on my Instagram all the time. So I'm Matthew Edmondson on Instagram, or you can look at at format games on Instagram and say hi to Bryony. She's running that and all the games are on there. Um, but yeah, they're going well. We're currently sort of in the top 20 of board games on Amazon for it's so amazing. long, which is amazing. We're up there with the, you know, all the big hitters. We're up there with Monopoly and Cards Against Humanity and all those. So um, it's gone it's gone pretty well. And then personally, we're having another baby. Oh, so that's amazing. In, in January and probably before January, because our first daughter came three and a half weeks early. And my wife said to me yesterday, she was like, if, it's, um, if the baby comes out... Uh, same time that Ivy does, it's six weeks from now. And I was like, oh my God, I got so much to do. How am I going to crow it all in? So, um, so I'm hoping that when January comes along, I'm going to take some time out and, uh, and yeah, enjoy being, being a dad and, uh, and experience. We've got, it's a daughter coming. So another one, another one. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to, excited to, to hopefully get through Christmas if the baby can hold on. Um, and then, yeah, spend January, you know, in the thick of being a new parent again. Oh, lovely. What a wonderful time. Um, Matt, it's been an absolute joy talking records with you. Thank you so much. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks today. so much for having me on. I hugely appreciate it. It's, it's been, been so fun. an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. There we go. Thank you, Matt. Oh, that was delightful. Um, I really wish Matt would have just finished the episode and then just done some magic and just like a cloud of smoke uh, just popped up and he disappeared. Um, Matt's podcast, what an incredible concept and what an ambitious concept. Um, you can find out more. Obviously, go go check out the podcast in all the usual places. Um, yeah, thanks ever so much uh, for listening. Uh, super, super kind of you. Um I'm back next time. In the meantime, go rummage in the archives and uh, and see what you can find because there's 320 episodes of these type of chats with all your favourite musicians, actors, DJs, producers, comedians, etc. You've been bloody lovely. Uh, Matt was bloody lovely. Uh, I have had so much fun having that chat. Um, I'll be back next time. Be excellent to each other in the meantime. See you soon. Bye-bye. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Give me Stu Whipping. Eat a monkey.